Um, I'll, I'll tell you what we do know about the marathon is that the vast majority of bad things happen within sight of the finish line. <clears throat> so you'll just, you're a marathoner, you'll be able to appreciate this. You put down 26 miles, you make the turn, you see the finish line 0.2 miles in the distance and you accelerate because you want to put in your finish line kick. And, and I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing to do, but if there's a heart problem kind of waiting to happen, that sudden explosion and that surge of adrenaline can often be the trigger point. Now, I've run plenty of half marathons, I'm sure you have too, and I know there's a lot of finish line surges at half marathons, but there's something about the prolonged effort of the marathon coupled with that, lat, that late surge at the end that seems to destabilize people who are, who are predetermined to go that direction. Hi everybody, today we're speaking with Dr. Aaron Bagish. If you're unfamiliar, Aaron has been the longtime medical director for the Boston Marathon. We're gonna to cover topics such as, is too much exercise actually bad for your heart? And what is the protocol for getting back to running after having COVID? He's also going to tell us what his biggest concerns are for athletes during and after a marathon. I promise you're going to be fascinated as we learn from this industry insider. But first, I want to welcome you to season two of the Maybe Running Will Help podcast. Welcome. Welcome to season two, episode one of the Maybe Running Will Help podcast. This season, we hope you'll take us on a run as you listen into the conversations with our guests. We'll be checking in periodically on our runners to let you know how long the episode and you have been running and to share a few encouraging words to keep you listening and moving. If you didn't tune in to season one, just a quick note about sound effects. We sometimes add them. Oh, snap. You didn't know? I think they're funny, but you can think of them kind of like my inner dialogue. All right, no more stalling. If you're putting down some miles during this episode, lace up and let's go. The clock starts now. Today, our guest is the wicked smart Dr. Aaron Bagish. Dr. Aaron is the director of the Cardiovascular Performance Program at the Massachusetts General Hospital Heart Center. In addition to the numerous athletic organizations, he serves as a team cardiologist and physician. He is also medical director for the Boston Marathon. In 2018, Aaron presented on the topic, is too much endurance exercise bad for your heart? It was my discovery of this presentation on YouTube, along with a recommendation from my good friend, Ambi Burfoot, that prompted me to reach out to Dr. Bagish. I'm honored he took the time today to speak with me, and I'd like to give a very warm welcome to Dr. Aaron Bagish. Hi, Dr. Bagish, how are you? Hi, Nikki, I'm well. It's nice to be with you, and please call me Aaron for the rest of this. I, Dr. Bagish is too formal for me. <laughs> That's great, thank you. Um, and now I always like to get started with a little icebreaker, so if you're up for it, I wanna play a little game of this or that. Um, and it's a running edition, and I just have to tell you that I did a little stalking, and I know that you are a runner, so <laughs> you should be able to answer these questions and have a this or that opinion. Um, all right, so my first question is solo or group running? Solo. Okay. Uh, music or silence? Definitely silence. Wow. Okay. Uh, watch or run free? Uh, ooh, some of both, but more typically watch. Okay. Uh, trail or road? Uh, I would be happy if there were no roads in the world, all trail. 
<laughs> okay, this is super interesting. Um, you surprised me with some of these. All right, speed or endurance? Uh, gosh, that's the one I can't differentiate. Some of both. Okay. Um, and for you, is running more mental or physical? Um, I would have to say more mental, but the physical part of it is awesome as well. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, solo, solo or group. So you are a, first of all, you are a, what, twice a year marathoner from my thing. Is that kind of your go-to? Yeah. Although I must confess to your listeners that over the past, say six or seven years, I've really gravitated away from competitive events. I run more now than I ever have but doing a lot less in the organized event space for a variety of reasons. But I keep up very high mileage and probably my cycle would be a two marathon a year sort of cycle. Okay. Um, and you train, you, so you don't really train with a group. You like to train by yourself? I have some running partners, um, but by definition, my schedule is so chaotic that I fit runs in where I can. So by just by necessity, I've become a solo runner. And honestly, my work is so extroverted uh, and I have a great family that I give my heart and soul to. So when I have time to run, I really like to be by myself. And I like to be my, by myself as far out in the woods as possible for as long as possible. Okay. And so, yeah. So when you said you like trail versus road, you're in Boston, right? Yep. So are there lots of trails? All I think of is the Boston Marathon. So I'm just thinking road, 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 road. Yeah, no, Boston's a great running city, whether you like road or trails. And we actually, within striking distance of where I live in Cambridge, we have a number of good trail systems that can get you out there pretty quickly. Uh, but my passion is heading north up into Vermont and New Hampshire, where, where the mountain running is just out of control fun. Okay, cool. Have you ever done an ultra? I have. Okay, what's your longest distance? Done 100. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. uh, was that... Uh, like a, in progression with you did a marathon, a 50 miler and a hundred, or did you go straight to a hundred after like uh, a marathon? Yeah, it was kind of, I got talked into it at the last minute and my mileage was high enough that I could do it. And I was able to finish it, but uh, quite honestly, don't have interest in going back and doing that again. Uh, <laughs> I think the, the 50 K is the sweet spot. It's just a little bit further than the marathon and they typically are off road. And it's just, that's probably my favorite distance. Okay, cool. Have you ever done or considered a Ragnar? I have not. My wife has done them. I've done relays before. We used to have a great one in New England called Reach the Beach, which I think is no longer in existence. Uh, I think they're great fun uh, if you're doing them with the right people. Yeah, I mean, if you're doing the full team of 12 people, in a, I mean, that's a lot of people to be with for that long. Um, I've done them before, and we've done like a six-person team, which is a little bit easier to find six people that you can hang with for, for a weekend. Um, but yeah, they're, they're a lot of fun. I'd like to do one of them again. So, um, and I'm actually, I'm, I'm a marathoner, typically road running, but because I talk to so many people who are trail runners, I'm really getting the urge to do an ultra marathon and now deciding I'm one of those people that's like, I don't want to do the 50. I want to go straight to the hundred. So <laughs> I'm, uh, right now that's kind of like where I am like decision wise. Um, but that's it's really interesting to hear that that is your preference. Um, and yeah, so we talked a little bit about your, you know, your experience as a runner, but I want to learn a little bit about you before we get into the real, the real medical stuff. But are you from Boston? Cause I didn't detect like that Boston accent when I was listening to some of your videos. Well, I've lived here for more than 20 years, but I've been able to stay accent free. I'm not originally from Boston. I'm originally from Arizona and spent most of my childhood in, in Southern New England and Connecticut. 
Um, mm-hmm. But I have been in Boston for the, my entire medical career. So this is home for the foreseeable future, although that's changing. I can talk more about that. Um, but I have no accent, for better or worse. Yeah, that, okay. I knew it. Um, And you're in, you know, you're in the cardiovascular performance program. Can you say a little bit about what that is and why it's important? Yeah, so I came to my kind of career as a physician, first and foremost, as a runner, and I wasn't planning on going into medicine. Um, I was living uh, in Colorado after college training and racing and working really hard to try to qualify for the Olympic marathon trials and lost a close friend of mine to sudden cardiac death who was a 220 marathoner an incredibly fit kid and it just made no sense to me he ended up having a genetic heart problem that ran in his family that no one knew about and that was kind of a wake-up call and was a, a game changer for me so i made a pivot in life and decided to go to medical school with the goal of becoming a heart doctor that took care of athletes and um, that was the that was the basis for forming the cardiovascular performance program. This was, you know, close to 20 years ago. Um, but this program was started in Boston, and we serve athletes of all shapes, sizes, sport disciplines, from elite competitors at the international level to recreational runners and cyclists and triathletes. And the goal is to give people the best care possible, but also prioritize getting them back out doing what they want to do as quickly as possible. Okay, cool. Uh, that's awesome. Um, and that's such an interesting way that you got into it and such kind of like a very touching like story and makes it just even more special and um, purposeful. I, I was really interested when I started looking in to you and seeing, I had no idea that there was this, I guess, controversy over endurance exercise and it being bad for your heart or anything like that. Like, of course, I've run marathons and I've heard of these like young runners who end up, you know, going to into the hospital and passing away running a marathon. And then always to me, I was just like, gosh, what happened? Like, how does that happen to somebody who's young and seemingly fit and stuff like that? So that's what like, I want to spend a lot of time talking to you about, um, you know, some of these articles are from I think 2012. So I'm wondering if what I've heard you speak about has changed at all. And um, just to just to kind of talk about endurance sports and the popularity of these ultra marathons, and even you know people are even going longer. You know, 100 miles, 200 miles. They're just people are pushing themselves to the limit. And so um, I want to get your thoughts on um, on that. And so I guess to start off, um, the articles that prompted this discussion, I, I think for you and uh, were, um, one was called One Running Shoe in the Grave. Uh, and I I did print it out, but, but the bottom line, most of these articles are basically saying, especially at an older age, you need to take it easy. Um, so can you talk a little bit about more, more about what these articles like were saying and like, then we can go into like your opinion on it. Yeah, sure. So November of 2012, that uh, actually I can remember the date. It was November 28th of 2012, if I if I'm correct. There was an editorial that was published in the Wall Street Journal, and that's the title that you just um, just shared with the listeners. And that editorial was based on um, a medical editorial that was accompanying that in the British journal Heart, which was called "Run for Your Life, but at a comfortable speed and not too far." And this article was written by two of my cardiology colleagues to good people that I know well, and they put forth the argument that you can get to basically get too much of a good thing and that some exercise is good, but if you exceed a certain level, you're going to end up undoing all the good parts of it and actually hurt yourself. And it was a provocative 
article. Lots of people saw it. It started a lot of discussion. It turns out that the scientific arguments that they put forward in the paper really didn't hold up when the rest of us who care about this topic got a hold of it. But it started a dialogue, right? And it mm-hmm. started an important dialogue. And that is, is it possible to exercise so much that you end up hurting yourself? Uh, it wouldn't be a controversy if we were talking about knee injuries or hip injuries. Everyone understands that there, there are overuse musculoskeletal injuries, but the concept of that happening to the heart was a, a pretty new phenomenon. Um, so literally the last decade of time has been spent trying to tease that out and understand it. And I think we have some more clarity now than we did a decade ago, but there are still some un- unanswered questions. Okay. Yeah. And it, so it, they're saying vigorous exercise, 30 to 50 minutes a day and it, as many marathon runners know that is you know that's just scratching the surface of a training run or something like that so um what what would you consider a vigorous exercise well let me just before i answer that question directly let me just back up and kind of explain where i think things got confusing and where where this argument went wrong when it was put out and that is that when whenever people think about running or cycling or triathlon they think about those of us that do that being the healthiest of the healthy, the fittest of the fit, and in some cases being immune to the problems that non-exercisers have, specifically heart disease. And so when an athlete develops heart disease, the, the knee-jerk reaction both by their peers, their family, their loved ones, and even doctors is that, oh, it's that running that did this to you. Mm-hmm. It turns out that that's n- almost never the case. Running is usually never the culprit. Um, but We also need to remember that no matter how much you run and how healthy you are, if you have risk factors for heart disease, you can't outrun them. So when bad things happen to runners, we need to resist the urge to blame it on the running and look a little bit more closely at what other risk factors might have gotten them into trouble. And this is really where we spend our time in the clinic. This is where we spend our time with our patients. This is where I spend my time talking to my running friends. Um, It's not the running. It's what we bring to the running that's typically causing the problems. And is there a way to detect those factors uh, before you have an emergency situation? Yeah, because for the most part, there are easily measurable things that doctors look for in their patients that they don't think are healthy. So things like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, trouble processing sugars, so early diabetes, maybe most importantly would be a family history of bad heart things happening to mom or dad. Mm-hmm. And what happens far too often is someone like you or me walks into the doctor, the doctor takes one look at them and is like, oh, you're doing marathons. You're a waste of my time. Nothing can be wrong with you. It turns out that's the biggest mistake doctors make because many in our community, many runners and endurance athletes have those problems and they go unchecked because they don't feel them. And it's not until they've been there for many years and started to cause damage to the heart and the arteries and the valves that, and people start getting sick, that they become relevant. So it's, this is just a lot of misconception on both the part of athletes and doctors about what to care about. So what should we as runners be asking our uh, primary care physicians, uh, you know, before we, before we run a race or get into some sort of training program? Everyone should be at some point by the third decade in life talking to a doctor about risk factors for coronary disease, right? Because that is the single most important reason why master's athletes get into trouble is undetected coronary disease. It causes sudden death. It causes symptoms. It's what leads to people getting stents and bypass surgeries. And it's largely a preventable disease. If you know your cholesterol is good, you know your blood pressure is good, you know you don't have a family history of bad things happening, then your likelihood of that stuff happening to you is very low. But we as runners don't think we're, we're, we're a setup for those things. So we don't ask and doctors don't ask us. 
If you're listening to this on a run, we're about 15 minutes in. Keep going. You're doing great. We were saying when you go to the doctor, there are things that you should be asking your primary care physician and looking out for um, as far as your cardiovascular health, especially in, you know, middle age 30s. Is it basically 30s and above? Is that the age range that we're most concerned about? Or is it there's there a concern for younger uh, ages? Well, I think um, very unlikely unless there's something some bad family pattern for something to develop before the age of 35 that has to do with with heart artery disease, so coronary disease. So I recommend that by the age of 35, everyone has had a conversation with their doctor about about the risk factors. And I think actually runners have to push their doctors a little bit and say, you know, even though I look really healthy and I feel perfectly fine um, and you're not thinking about me having a potential problem, I'd really like to have my cholesterol and my blood pressure and all that stuff checked because I know bad things do happen to runners when they get older and I want to prevent that. Okay. Um, and during just during a race, like a marathon or something like that, are there things that, you know, say you didn't, you weren't detected and stuff, are there things that you can look out for during a race that would indicate that, oh, this is not going well and I should probably like stop? Or, I mean, is it something that you can feel coming on or do you have any advice during the race, like, you know, how to protect yourself? Yeah, I mean, we all know that if you run enough marathons, um, you're going to feel shitty at some point during the race, right? (laughs) Very unfrequently or infrequently do we run a race and feel great the whole time. But what what runners need to do and and, and really need to pay attention to is differentiating the normal shittiness from the non-normal shittiness. (laughs) Exactly. But so there are a couple of things you should not feel under normal conditions. You should not feel chest pain. You should not feel chest pressure. You should not feel chest tightness. Those three things should be an automatic indication that it's probably not dehydration, not malnutrition, not hitting the wall, but something else. And those would be very good. Very rarely does this happen, but when it does happen, we take we need to take it seriously and stop. Okay, that's great advice. Um, one of the interesting things that I read um, is that marathons are four times more dangerous as half marathons. Do you? Remember, I guess, is, was that a study or something that you had discovered through research? Yeah, we did a, a study probably a decade ago here, led out of Boston, called the Racer Study, in uh-huh. which we, we reviewed over a decade-long period of time every cardiac arrest or sudden death that occurred at any U.S. road race at the marathon or half-marathon distance. And the incidence of the really bad thing happening, which is collapse with cardiac arrest, was much, much more likely to happen in marathon running than in half-marathon running. And it was much more likely to happen in men than in women. And over the 10-year period we studied it, actually, the, the incidence in men went up pretty steadily over time, which I think speaks to a trend that we were seeing back in the early 2000s in the running world, where a lot of people were putting marathons on their bucket list and not mm-hmm. necessarily coming from an extensive exercise background, but just deciding they were turning 50 and they wanted to get it done. And they had medical problems that they either knew about or didn't know about or didn't get checked out. And went out and did this stuff and these were largely men as opposed to women so you are in the right gender from a health perspective as a runner yeah. i'm not wow that's really interesting so now in terms of the half and the full and where the risk comes in um what is it because of the time i mean because you're not probably not running as fast in a half marathon or in a marathon than you are a half and is the same risk applicable to like a 5k because you are running so much faster like 
how does that, how, how do the different distances and speed affect this? Yeah, it's a good question. And I don't think we have all of the answers. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what we do know about the marathon is that the vast majority of bad things happen within sight of the finish line. <clears throat> so you'll just, you're a marathoner, you'll be able to appreciate this. You put down 26 miles, you make the turn, you see the finish line 0.2 miles in the distance and you accelerate because you want to put in your finish line kick. And, and I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing to do, but if there's a heart problem kind of waiting to happen, that sudden explosion and that surge of adrenaline can often be the trigger point. Now, I've run plenty of half marathons, I'm sure you have too, and I know there's a lot of finish line surges at half marathons, but there's something about the prolonged effort of the marathon coupled with that, lat, that late surge at the end that seems to destabilize people who are, who are predetermined to go that direction. Wow, that's so interesting. Um, can you talk a little bit about what running a marathon actually does to our body? Um, I've heard all kinds of things, like we're like slowly dying, like what, in a brief summary, like what does a marathon actually do to our body? Because it's probably not the most healthy thing to do. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if it's unhealthy. I mean, I think if, if you're well-trained and, and you, you run within your limits, I think it's actually probably quite reasonable and quite healthy. And actually all of the health benefits come from the, the training and the preparation rather than the race itself. Mm -hmm. um, but, but during a marathon, take your typical 3.30 male, four-hour female kind of middle of the pack Boston runner. They're asking their body to move huge quantities of blood, 10, 12, 15 liters per minute over the course of that entire time. Their heart rates are up. Their nervous systems are activated. Um, they're doing all sorts of things in terms of pulling fuel from different places in the body. It's really, it's the physiology of it's amazing. And we know it's a big infl inflammatory stress too. By the end, you're, you're really inflamed. And there are some health conditions that become uh, relevant in the kind of the 24 to 48 hours after marathon that runners should know about. But it's a stress on the body, but a stress that if it's been prepared for is, is well tolerated and something people shouldn't be afraid of. Okay, so can you talk a little bit about the 24 hours after and what we should be uh, cautious of? Yeah, so the, the, the things that we know um, are likely to happen after the race is done uh, relate to blood clots. And this is because um, when we run, as I mentioned, there's a pro-inflammatory stimulus, and there's also a tendency to activate the clotting system. So in people that are um, predisposed to blood clots, they, they are at higher risk of that happening in the 24 to 48 hours afterward. And this is almost always something that's coupled with some other risk factor, with the most common one being long haul travel right after a marathon. Oh. So. The thing that bothers me the most is when we have our European or our, our Asian athletes that come here and run, they finish up Boston at, you know, two in the afternoon and they're planning on getting on a long haul overnight flight back to their home that night. Um, don't like that because long haul flights, if you're immobile and not moving for many hours are a risk factor for blood clots. And you couple that with the infl inflammation after a marathon and it's like a perfect storm. Right. So we try to educate people against doing that. And if they do need to fly, they shouldn't sleep. They should be getting up, moving around and even maybe thinking about talking to a doctor about some medication use. Oh, wow. Okay. That's really good advice. So something that happened, I think um, I'm getting my years mixed. I think this year it's 2022 Boston. I saw a lot of people because coming out of the pandemic, a lot of our races got canceled. We really loaded up our calendars with races. And there were a lot of uh, people because the majors fell in a certain time that did these marathons back to back. Yep. Is that concerning or is that okay to to do a marathon and then the next day do a marathon? Like, what? how, how do you feel about 
those kind of things that people are doing. I, mean, I think with proper preparation, most of the crazy stuff we subject ourselves to is reasonable and can be done safely. I mean, I think if you're not accustomed to running back-to-back long-distance days, you set yourself up for problems, less so heart problems, more just musculoskeletal things. But if you're prepared and your body's been trained to do the back-to-back stuff, I don't have any objection to it. Okay. Well, that's that's interesting. So it's more of a more of a worry when you're sitting still and not doing anything than when you're oh, totally. to be active. I mean, this is what all runners love to hear, but it's honestly the scientific truth is that physical activity, any physical activity is better than none and being sedentary is, is really poisonous. Yes, I, I, <laughs> I'm i loving it. It's making me want to like go out and like find a race right now. Um, all right. So another question I have with, you know, talking about the pandemic and stuff like that, there I was never really clear on the guidance for getting back to running after you have COVID. And now that there are so many different strains and it seems that, you know, things have really changed. Um, Can you talk a little bit about recommendations for getting back to physical activity after having COVID? Yeah. So this has been a two-year journey for us. Those of us that think about this and write guidelines and documents have learned so much over the past two and a half years. And I think fortunately things have gotten simpler. Um, The bottom line is when you are sick with COVID, when you have your initial symptoms, um, it's really important to lay off and and be as as sedentary as you can. It's probably, it breaks my heart to say this, but it's, there should be no running for a couple of days right? The body really needs to rest and recover and get through that acute phase. Once the symptoms are gone and you've kind of completed your, your CDC recommended quarantine, which is now down to five days, if you're feeling back to normal, it's perfectly fine to get back into, into a running cycle. But I think what people need to remember about COVID is that uh, it has shown us to be a very de- detraining inducing virus. So even if you take five days off because of COVID, it's not like taking five days off because you go on vacation and you don't run. It's like taking five weeks off. So people need to realize they're, they're going to feel sluggish, they're going to feel unfit, and they're gonna be, it's going to take time to get that back. But as long as you're just feeling a little tired, you can escalate things over the course of a couple of weeks. The, the one thing we really encourage people to pay attention to is the, the presence of, again, this chest pain thing. If, if you're feeling chest pain when you get back into your, your, your training after recovering from COVID, that's a really important thing to pay attention to and not to try to run through. Because in, in rare cases, COVID can cause heart inflammation. This term you've probably heard in the news, myocarditis. Mm-hmm. And we don't want people running through that. But that is almost always associated with symptoms during exercise, typically chest pain. And that's what our listeners should be aware to watch out for. Okay. Thank you. And thank you so much for talking about the detraining part because I've heard so many people who say, you know, because you're just exhausted. Um, I think fatigue is just one of the major symptoms of of COVID. And like, I've heard so many people say that, you know, their normal pace felt so hard to them for a while. And that could be really discouraging and scary for somebody who trains a lot to be like, oh my gosh, like am I permanently like damaged, you know, from this disease or whatever. So I really appreciate you pointing that out. Can you talk about why, um, what it's, why, why it has that impact? Yeah, I wish I could, but I don't think we have the answers yet. I, I, yeah. I've seen it consistently. And in the beginning, I was kind of fond of telling people, just get back into it. You'll be fine. It's just like the common um, cold or it's just like influenza. You'll feel better in a couple of days. But that's not been the, that's not been the experience. The experience is that literally every day is like a week. 
And so it's like coming back from rehabbing an ACL or something like that. It takes weeks to months to feel better again. And that's for, for those of us that run and push our bodies hard, that's the most concerning thing about COVID to me. It's not ending up in the hospital. It's taking a couple months out of running, which no one wants to do. Yeah. Yeah. That, I'm, I'm so glad that, that you said that. It certainly makes me feel a little bit better. <laughs> makes me feel a little bit better. Um, and some other things that I wanted to ask you about um, as far as in combination with running and the impact, um, just because it's a hot topic, at least in my circle right now, um, alcohol seems to be the new smoking. And um, I'm hearing, you know, there's this sober curious movement. And so I just wanted to know if you have any thoughts, and I don't know if this is an area that you look into or study at all, but if you have any thoughts on the impact of alcohol, heart health, and um, athletes. Yeah, I mean, this has been this has been a topic of considerable study. First of all, I, you know, as a doctor, I, I never recommend people start drinking if they don't want to drink on for other reasons. But at the same time, I think responsible, appropriate alcohol consumption is neither bad nor should it be avoided. But the key is with runners is to figure out how much is too much and to stay away from too much. And, you know, a tip, the typical recommendations would be a, a single drink for a woman or two drinks per man a day is not, injury, not, not injurious to your health at all and actually may have some health benefits. The added layer for runners, and we're all different, is the degree to which that gets in the way of our sleep quality and our ability to wake up and feel good in the morning. Mm -hmm. But if you're enjoying an alcoholic beverage and sleeping well and it's not messing with relationships and you wake up at six and you're able to train without any limitations, I see no reason to avoid it. There's no data to suggest that a small amount is harmful and some to suggest that a small amount is probably better than none. I also wanted to ask about, I did a, an episode, My one of my very first episodes was on eating disorders and there was um, a lot of discussion about low heart rate in athletes, but then also a low heart rate being indicative of, uh, I think it's bradycardia or something, I don't know. Um, but so how do you like how do you know if it's underfueling and a sign of an eating disorder or you know if it's just you're athletic and you have it's it's a good positive thing yeah it can be really difficult and it's kind of the, the heart rate alone doesn't necessarily tell the whole story so a normal response to long periods of training both high volume and high intensity is a, is a marked reduction in our resting heart rate so most of us that are fit when we sleep, we live in the, in the 30s, sometimes as low as the 20s. And so that's a very normal thing. And so those of us that are normal body habitus um, who experience that, that's just part of our training adaptation. Um, that being said, when people drop to an, an exceptionally low body weight or body mass for them, and they're in relative energy deficiency, um, the body starts to experience starvation physiology. And part of starvation physiology is shutting down the systems to conserve energy. And the heart's no stranger to that. It knows how to do that by really slowing down. So I'm, uh, what I'm doing is explaining kind of the two ends of the spectrum, good slow and, not, and bad slow. But in the running community, it can be difficult because many people, typically more women than men, but it affects both genders, maintain lowish body masses for a number of reasons. They, they, they like the way they perform at a lower body mass. They can't keep weight on because they have high metabolism, whatever it is. And there can be nothing bad about that at all. But sprinkled in there is disordered eating, which, uh, which is a disease. It's a, it's a, it's a mental illness and it, it needs to be taken very seriously and it should not be considered a sign of weakness. It should be considered something that needs to be treated medically. Um, and indeed low heart rate comes as a part of that. Now the low heart rate is almost never the, 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 
the real true danger in people that have energy deficiency, but it can be a marker. And I would just say that the only way to think about it is it's the company that the heart rate keeps. Uh, we, mm. we see this in the office all the time and see people with very low heart rates that run lean body masses and you talk to them about their energy intake and it's actually quite fine. But from time to time, um, young men and women typically that are, are not eating healthfully will also have this problem. Okay, so it's it's really a combination um, when you're looking at eating disorders or somebody with uh, disordered eating or somebody who needs to be looked at. You can't just look at the heart rate. You have to look at a combination of things and behaviors. Exactly. And when it's totally caused by training, when the training is removed for some reason, so someone takes a week or two off, there will be a, a perceptible rebound in the resting heart rate, usually about 10, 15 beats per minute. If it's caused by energy deprivation, it's a consistent, persistent thing that takes months to recover. Hey guys, I just stopped in the bathroom on the trail. It is air conditioned. It feels amazing, dude, but I gotta keep moving, so well, let's go. All right, guys, according to my Garmin, we're about 30 minutes into this workout. We have so got this. I ha of course have to talk to you about the Boston Marathon because um, it's such an iconic race. I, it's my favorite race and you are the medical director. Um, are you still the medical director for the Boston Marathon? Well, this was actually my last year. I'm about to move to Switzerland in three and a half weeks to start a new chapter in life. And so I am after a long, long run with the Boston Marathon. I'll be relinquishing that that responsibility to someone else this coming year, which is somewhat sad, but also I'm ready for the change. Uh, yeah. But Boston will always be um, near and dear to my my running heart. I ran there many years as a qualified runner and have had the privilege of le leading the medical work there for the last 10 years. And it's been a real, real joy. Wow. What uh, can you talk about what you're doing in Switzerland? Yeah, I'm taking a position at the University of Lausanne. Um, which happens to be the headquarters of the International Olympic Committee. And I'll be over there to do some some teaching and some research and also some policy work. Wow, that's really exciting. Congratulations. Yeah, we're, we're excited. It's going to be a big change for the five of us and my family, but one we're looking forward to. What? I mean, that is wild. He is moving to Switzerland. <laughs> that's great. That, like, blows my mind. I don't know about anybody else. Like, I feel like I have... Well, I have lived and never left my hometown. I have never moved anywhere else. So when people have these opportunities, I am just like starstruck. I'm like, wow. Um, I just wanted to take a minute and appreciate that and appreciate that we had the chance to talk to him before he left. Um, I'm going to sit here and just think about like how awesome that opportunity is for a minute. But you can go ahead and get back to the show. We're going to jump back into Boston. Um, well, you know, with your experience with the Boston Marathon, I want to talk about what, I guess, what were some of the biggest concerns that you had from a health perspective as you were, um, you know, being the director there? Like, what are you looking for? What are, what are some of the biggest things that you're trying to prevent? So the two big, well, let me answer this question in two parts. We'll talk about the health things first, then I'll talk about the, the other added concerns that I have when I'm doing that job. Um, the, so the two biggest concerns on race day for us are cardiac emergencies and heat emergencies. Um, and obviously, we've talked 
at length about some of the heart stuff, but we see heart attacks and arrhythmias every year. We see cardiac arrest from time to time. And um, I'm biased because I'm a heart doctor, but I'm always worrying about those because those are the things that kill people imminently. Mm. Um, that being said, we know how to manage those things. And we have an amazing uh, emergency response system set up on the, both on the race course and at the finish line. And so we're pretty adept at handling those things and haven't had a cardiac fatality there in a long time, even though we've had arrests, we've had resuscitations. Um, I have become, over my time doing this, extremely humbled by the heat. Um, heat can be an awful, awful, awful dangerous thing for athletes. And when we have hot days, which we have had uh, over the time that I've done this in very hot days, um, we see cases of really severe heat illness. And um, it's a very scary thing because it's, if it's not recognized, it can be fatal or it can cause organ damage pretty quickly. Um, mm. so take home to all of us who run is to respect the weather. And if it's a hot day and you're not particularly acclimatized to the heat, uh, the concept of going out and trying to push hard and set a PR is, is really a bad one. Um, save it for another day or another year because you can get yourself into trouble. So um, in terms of heat, uh, adjusting your pace, hydrating, and uh, yeah, I mean, I guess those are the two main ones, right? Just make sure you're hydrating and adjusting your pace. That's it. I mean, there's unfortunately there's no there's no silver bullet to overcome the heat. You just yeah. have to accept that it's not the day to, to run a fast race. And if you're going to do the race, which for many people is fine to do, uh, you just have to pay ex extra attention to getting fluid into the body throughout the course. Okay. And now on the other side of the spectrum, we had uh, the was it 2000 2018 16 or 17 2018 the the really ice cold. Uh, hypothermia weather yeah. 2018 i mean this is the crazy thing about boston you know we're, we're a mid-april race at a, in a temperate climate so we can have 80 degrees or we can have 30 degrees and literally i mean those of us that are involved in race leadership in the kind of the week or two leading up to the race when the forecasts are being credible it's like a every morning it's to wake up and see where the the, the thermometer is going and some years we're, we're perfect and some years we're horrible you just can't predict it now with that with that race was it 2017. At this point, I'm reminded of a quote I heard earlier this week. Perfection is for quitters. So <laughs> just repeating that to myself right now. It was 2018. Gomer does London one. 2018. How did you, because I, I remember watching this and I was not sure if the race was going to happen. I knew that Boston had not been canceled before, but I was still like, I can't. I, I was just like on, you know, just like not sure if it was going to happen. Was that a hard morning to for everyone to try to figure out what to do? No, um, hy hypothermia, so cold related stuff, um, as uncomfortable as it can be and as miserable as it can be sitting out in Athletes Village and waiting for the race to start and then actually running. It's not a real health concern for us because runners okay. seem to do a better job with the cold. Um, and if they come in cold, we can warm them up. Um, heat is the real challenge you probably may have just seen the boston triathlon which is canceled this weekend for the first time ever because of heat and the people that oversee that race medically are the same people we work with at the boston marathon and they made the right decision i mean yeah. they just shouldn't be doing that race in 100 degree heat but that's really heat is really our enemy but right, i'll, I'll, I'll also just say uh, because you asked me what i worry about um when i started this job the first year i did it was 2011 and it was a perfect day of running probably remember some of the fastest times we ever run there and i worried about the medical stuff but after 
we had 2013, I realized that my biggest concern was less about the medical illness and more about worrying about the people that were working for me and with me. So I sweat every year thinking about the safety of the of the doctors and nurses and physical therapists and athletic trainers, the thousands of those people that volunteer and are out there putting their own health and safety on the line. And that is what I lose sleep about. Time check. You're about 40 minutes in. Well, I want to talk about a little bit about your running because now that I know that you were uh, trying to qualify for the Olympic marathon trials, that's that was uh, kind of where you started. So, what was your what's your what's your best time? Uh, for for twenty six two, I ran low low two thirties, um, and never truly an elite level runner, but loved it passionately, and probably would have continued pursuing high level goals had I not had the experience I did and pivoted to really thinking more about taking care of runners rather than running myself. Um, but, um, I love the sport and I will always be a runner. And you asked earlier how much of it's mental and how much of it's physical. And it was a, this or that game, but I think truthfully they're inseparable, right? I, to me, the physicality feeds the mental and the mental feeds the physical. And they're just, it's what, it's what makes this sport so beautiful. What's, um, obviously you're moving and have a lot of stuff going on. Do you have any races on your calendar right now? No, I don't. And I, um, it's funny, I mentioned this briefly earlier. I, over the past, literally since 2013, my enthusiasm for running has never been higher, but my enthusiasm for being in organized race settings has not been as high. So yeah. I still I still run. And, you know, I ran a 20K earlier this year when we were over visiting Switzerland just because it was happening and I enjoyed it. But for me, I'll never forget, it was, I think it was 2015, I was up in northern Vermont, uh, had come off a three and a half hour trail run and was sitting in, sitting in my pickup truck listening to the broadcast from the new york marathon which was that day it was a november day and i remember thinking to myself how happy i was that i had basically just run a marathon but done it by myself in the woods and it's just an just an interesting kind of journey in life but that's where i am now and we'll see if it cycles back do you have any final thoughts a mantra or anything that you can leave our listeners as far as uh why maybe running will help well, I mean, we started off earlier talking about this concern about too much exercise, and I just want to emphasize that um, for the vast majority of people in the running community, it, it's not something to worry about. Listen to your body, train, prepare. If things feel good, you're not going to hurt yourself. But on the flip side, if your body starts telling you something is wrong, something you haven't experienced before that you can't easily explain, do yourself the favor of stopping and talking to a medical professional that understands both running as well as health and wellness, because no amount of running confers com complete immunity, right? You simply can't outrun problems if they're destined to happen. So just be responsible and listen to your body. Great, that's great advice. Well, I really appreciate your time. Um, a lot of packed information in a short amount of time. Um, I wanna wish you the best of luck in Switzerland. Uh, congratulations to you and your family and uh, happy running. Yeah, same to you. Thanks for this conversation. It's been a lot of fun. Wow, I thought that conversation was so interesting and I learned so much talking to Aaron. I hope you guys enjoyed it and I hope you had a great run. Thank you so much for checking out the new season of the Maybe Running Will Help podcast. I hope you like the new format. 
and I look forward to bringing you more guests soon. Okay, we did it. Um, I might die. I'm enjoying my uh, lukewarm water that I left out by my mailbox and uh, sitting on my driveway. I am debating whether I'm gonna lay down. I am sweating profusely. And after I shower, I'm gonna be feeling really good about this run. But right now, I just, Great job, everybody.